It's Friday, December 21st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Immigration and border security continue to make headlines. There is still no consensus on avoiding a partial government shutdown because President Trump is not getting all of the funding for his border wall. The administration also set new policy for asylum-seeking migrants, where they will stay in Mexico while their claims are being processed. Ted Hessen, immigration reporter for Politico, joins us for more on that and a GoFundMe that has been set up for the border wall. Next, we're all in the midst of heavy shopping for the holidays, and many are turning to Amazon. But what's the first thing you do to vet your items? See how many stars it has and read the reviews. But you have to be careful. There are tons of fake reviews being populated by some shady Facebook groups. Joanna Stern, personal tech columnist for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how to spot fake Amazon reviews. Finally, it is quickly becoming a Christmas tradition for many. It's Elf on the Shelf. The elf watches your kids and reports back to Santa, so they better be good. And the next day, he pops up in a different location. The problem is, many parents are struggling to keep up and are regretting ever starting the game. My producer Miranda joins us for the tyranny of the elf on the shelf. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We need the wall. The Democrats know it. Everybody knows it. It's only a game when they say you don't need the wall. You can look at their eyes and you can say, well, they're not telling the truth. Joining us now is Ted Hessen, immigration reporter for Politico. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen unveiled a new policy, and this is something we had heard about before, where migrants that are seeking asylum at the border will remain in Mexico through the duration of the process. Uh, instead of coming into the States, a lot of times they get released. This is this whole notion of catch and release that the president is really opposed to. This was something that they had been working on with Mexico as a kind of a deterrent for that. And Kirsten Nielsen announced that that is the new policy. What do we know about this? There have been reports about this for a few weeks now that it was under consideration. And under this policy, the Trump administration is essentially looking to keep asylum seekers in Mexico during the course of their asylum proceedings. They view the asylum system here, and this is President Trump views it this way and all the way down. They view it as an incentive for people to come to the country without authorization. You've heard Secretary Kirsten Nielsen say that she thinks many asylum seekers don't have valid Claim. And she's repeated time and time again that many of these claims go forward and are not successful. And I think their view is that if people are sincere about asylum, they will either seek it in Mexico first or they'll be willing to wait on the other side of the border while this claim happens. She even mentioned it in her statement that these people will no longer be able to disappear into the United States. That is the big concern that they get lost in the cracks and then they never come back for a court date. And then now they're just in the United States and, and, and we can't find them. I know that the administration has been trying to figure something out to deter migrants from coming over. But at every moment, they get hit back by the courts. They think that this will also be subject to legal challenges. But there's other things that they've enacted that the courts have struck down right away. Just last month, we saw the Trump administration put out the equivalent of what was an asylum ban for people that cross the border between ports of entry. It means if you don't go to a port of entry and present yourself, they were basically saying that you won't be eligible for asylum, with some exceptions. It hasn't gone forward. Federal judge in San Francisco rather quickly 
Presley actually froze the policy and then just yesterday went a step further and issued a temporary injunction against it, which is a, a little bit stronger of a way of saying that it will be on hold. And then we've also seen that policy that actually restricted people from seeking asylum based on claims of domestic violence right. was actually held up in court by a different federal judge in Washington, D.C. So these are just examples of, in some ways, it seems like the administration is trying to throw as much as they can to the wall and see what sticks, but uh, not too much has been sticking lately. The administration also pledged to provide some billions of dollars to some of these Central American countries to help with reforms there and economic growth. So also to help deter them from coming over. Earlier this week, the State Department announced that the U.S. would commit $5.8 billion to development in three Central American countries, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. The State Department didn't elaborate as to where the money would come from. It didn't get into details on exactly how it would be used, but did put out this statement a few days ago. And the timing, of course, is interesting because we saw the U.S. roll out this policy of keeping asylum seekers in Mexico. And the Mexican government, for its part, at the same time, said that they'll go along with this policy, at least for the moment, on a, on a temporary basis. It appears clear the two things are related. The new administration in Mexico has been pressing for somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 billion from the U.S. in funding for Central America to combat the migration crisis. So if this money does materialize, we're talking almost $6 billion. That certainly seems like a down payment on the 20 that they're asking for. And this is all in the backdrop of what to do with the border wall. The president's entire presidency is based on the economy and immigration and funding for the border wall is a huge issue. Right now he's getting it on all sides. Conservatives are telling him don't back down on this funding. We need to get this $5 billion. The Senate passed the bill only giving him $1.3 billion. We don't know where that compromise is, how far the president will push it, but he's staying pretty firm on this. I need funding for the border wall. And that's what we're going through with the possibility of a government shutdown. Yeah, I think what you're seeing are the, are the limitations of what he can do from the White House when it comes to border security. Many of these policies are being blocked by judges who find them either running afoul of the Constitution or they actually don't agree with laws that Congress has already passed. So I think, you know, Trump's solution would have been to have a Republican supermajority in both houses. But obviously that didn't happen. We had midterm elections where Democrats took back dozens of seats in the House and took control of the House. And I think that the reality for Trump is that he can play brinksmanship on the wall, but he has little control over what Congress actually passes. And kind of a funny aside, funding for the wall, there was a veteran who took it upon himself to start a GoFundMe page. It's grown in popularity so quickly. In three days, they have over $6,390,000. It's going to get to $7 pretty quickly. And who knows how far it'll go? He's starting to get a bunch of uh, media attention. It's a pretty phenomenal thing, I mean, to see that amount of money. Of course, when you're talking about the figures, they're not even comparable. What the president is asking for is $5 billion right. with a B for the wall. And then they're talking about, you know, they've raised about $5 million. It wouldn't even be a rounding error on, on what the president's looking for. But then again, you know, I mean, of course, on an individual level, it's impressive. I mean, of anyone who's donating, I'd probably say apply the same level of scrutiny as to where your money's going as you would if, if it was uh, Congress and, and the federal government spending your money. He wrote in the, the GoFundMe page, you know, this is not a scam. I'm using all my real name, my real information. Contact me. I'm interested to see how far this will go. But as you said, it really isn't the amount of money that they need. And it all still needs to go through Congress. There's a procedure for funding projects like this. And so we'll see how far that gets. Ted Hessen, immigration reporter for Politico. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Me. 
I interviewed someone, her name is Kathleen San Martino. She's a Vine reviewer and she has done 1,500 Amazon reviews in her lifetime. And she's reviewed most of the things in her house. (laughs) She just is very passionate about reviewing and you get the sense that like she does really put time and effort into these reviews. Joining us now is Joanna Stern personal technology columnist for the Wall Street Journal. We've been doing a lot of stories about Amazon lately. There was uh, headquarters two and three where everybody's shopping for the holidays now and using Amazon more than ever. So there's porch pirates going on and now reviews. And this is one of the things that I've always used. I know everybody does it. They check the reviews to know, hey, is this product that I'm buying legit? Is it good? Do I need it? Any pitfalls? But now we're seeing that the reviewing system itself has a lot of fake reviews and it's hard to spot some of the times. I love your article and I love that you spent a lot of time on shady Facebook groups trying to weed out how this actually works. So tell us a little bit about that, Joanna out that there are a number of different types of Amazon reviews. There's the legit review, which is you or me bought something on Amazon and uh, I don't know, let's say a diaper bag and we review it. We tell you, we we write our experiences of how we've used that diaper bag and we give it a a star rating. Seems pretty straightforward. Those are always labeled as a, a verified purchase. Yeah, usually those are labeled as a verified purchase. It means that Amazon has verified that you bought this product with whatever form of payment, you received it, etc. Then there's this other type of review, and I'll, I'll kind of lump them all together, and, and they're incentivized reviews. And one form of incentivized reviews are actually seem pretty legit. And there's a, a program that Amazon has called Vine. It's a Vine reviewer program. And they select some of their best real reviewers, the people like me and you that like to review a lot. And they say, come join this program. We'll give you some free products in exchange for reviews. We want them to be honest reviews though. So a seller that, let's say the diaper bag maker, they work with Amazon. They give them a bunch of a couple hundred free diaper bags. Amazon facilitates this. They give these diaper bags to the buyer or the Vine reviewer. They get the diaper bag. They try it out for a couple of days and then they write the review. And so that shows up on Amazon and it's labeled as Vine review. And it it says, right under it, find customer review of free products. So it's very clear these are of a free product. This is almost kind of like an influencer campaign. If you do a lot of reviews and people generally read your stuff, these are the kind of people that get folded into this type of program. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, exactly. And it actually, in my in the video that I did for my, with my column, I interviewed someone. Her name is Kathleen San Martino. She's a Vine reviewer, and she has done 1,500 Amazon reviews in wow. her lifetime. That is she, a ton. Yeah, a ton of reviews. I actually went to her house. She has a lot of things in her house, and she's reviewed most of the things in her house. <laughs> she just is very passionate about reviewing, and you get the sense that like she does really put time and effort into these reviews. And these free products that they get, I mean, these are from manufacturers that want to get reviews out there or are they just kind of random products? They are manufacturers who actually pay Amazon to be part of the Vine program. They'll say, here's our free product, populate our page with reviews. They may be positive, they may be negative. Really interestingly, Kathleen, who I'd spoken to, and I spoke to a number of Vine reviewers, they were very adamant. We do not only give four or five star reviews. She actually walked me through a number of products. She gave two star reviews because she feels like she's really doing a service. She is giving honest feedback and impressions on the product she tests. Yeah, these Vine reviewers actually give more two three and four star reviews than any other types of groups. And these manufacturers realize that you need a lot of reviews. You need these stars. So it pushes you up in the page and all this stuff. So it's incentivized for them to get a lot of reviews going. Let's talk about the shady reviews now. 
reviews work in a way similar to Vine, or we give you a free product in exchange for a review, but this is the shady part of this. The shady part, it says, we will give you this product in exchange for a positive review, and that's a four or five star review. Most of them are asking for five star reviews. So no matter, we give you this product, let's go back to the diaper bag. Let's say it's a diaper bag, and actually, as soon as you start using the diaper bag, things start falling out the center of it. Giant hole in the diaper bag within 24 hours of starting to use the diaper bag. A buyer or reviewer gets this diaper bag, but they got it for free, and they were told that if I get this for free, I have to write a five-star review. So they won't give you their honest impressions. They will just say, great diaper bag, was really wonderful, love the zippers, the color's great, five-star. They'll make you buy it so that you get a verified purchase. Then after that, they'll reimburse you, usually through a PayPal or something like that. After Yeah, so let me kind of try to explain this. And let me explain it through how I went through this process. So first, let me set up that Amazon doesn't allow this. Amazon has cracked down on this type of incentivized reviewing on its platform. It does not want paid reviews for four or five star reviews. It does not want that. And so they cracked down on this in 2016, but the practices still very much happen. They are just happening off of Amazon's platform. They're happening mostly in Facebook groups. So there are a couple of Facebook groups which have since been shut down since my reporting and since my column came up this morning, but I believe there will be more that come after it, where in the Facebook group, a company will post, we have, and let me give you this example and I'll tell you how I went through it. A company posted about a cat and dog water fountain. And they said, this $44 cat and dog water fountain, it's great. We will give it to you for free in exchange for a four or five star review. And you have to private message the seller on the, in the Facebook group. So I did that. And I said, it was actually very clear and said, I'm a Wall Street Journal reporter. I'm working on a story here, whether they understood that or not. They sent me a link to go buy this cat dog water fountain. I then went to Amazon. I bought the cat dog water fountain. I got it to my house. And then in exchange, Exchange, they asked me in the Facebook group, okay, you've got the product now. You need to write a, four, a five-star review. You need to write 60 words about it. We'd also like you to post some photos. As soon as you do that, we will send you a reimbursement for the product, $44, via PayPal. And so this is all kind of happening around Amazon. What's right. really only happening on Amazon is I bought the product on Amazon. And if I were to have gone that extra step to give it a five-star review, I would have done it on Amazon. That is so And on crazy. Amazon, it would have appeared as what you called before a verified purchase, right? because I am a real person. I really did buy this thing and then I really did review it. These people are more than willing to skirt the system so that you can get those reviews on there. I think it's important to really read the post. Don't really focus too much on the stars. And then I, I think these this uh, Vine program actually is pretty good because they're going through Amazon and they seem to be a little bit more legit. So everybody just be careful out there with what you're buying. Joanna Stern, personal technology columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Every night you put the elf out and kids are not allowed to touch it. If you touch the elf, it dies. That's basically the story. (laughs) And every night the elf goes back to the North Pole to report on your behavior to Santa. So he knows because Santa's really busy. And then the idea is that in the morning when the kids wake up, they see the elf in a different location from where he was when they went to bed. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. We're going to be talking about elf on a shelf leading up into uh, Christmas. This is one of the traditions that has grown really big in the past few years. They've sold 13 million elves. They say that they've been adopted since 2005. That's when 
the book about this came out, Elf on a Shelf, A Christmas Tradition. It's a book, and uh, you tell your kids the story, and it comes with a little elf, and then you go out and act out the whole thing. For parents that teach their kids about Santa and things like that, and they believe in Santa, and you, I mean, Santa is real, I guess, but <laughs> you, you, you play that whole thing out, this is, goes hand in hand. If they believe in Santa, they're going to believe in this Elf on a Shelf thing also, if you present it to them. So quickly, Miranda, tell us what Elf on a Shelf is all about. Elf on the Shelf, like you said, it comes with an accompanying book that explains the story to your children. And I guess you're supposed to start this around age three because I have a two-year-old and there's no way she'd comprehend any of this. So around age three, I'd say you can kind of explain the story of the elf and you name it. Usually it's something that's kind of a punny name or a funny name. The premise is starting around Thanksgiving, whenever your family starts their Christmas stuff, every night you put the elf out. And kids are not allowed to touch it. If you touch the elf, it dies. That's basically the story. (laughs) And every night the elf goes back to the North Pole to report on your behavior to Santa. So he knows because Santa's really busy. So if you're being bad and you're throwing your toys, the elf's going to tell him. And then the idea is that in the morning when the kids wake up, they see the elf in a different location from where he was when they went to bed. That's the magic of it. He left, reported to Santa, came back, and he's still watching you. Right. And the whole thing is, hey, kids, be nice. Don't misbehave kind of thing because the elf is watching you. So the funny part about this now, the Wall Street Journal wrote this story up. It's called The Tyranny of the Elf on the Shelf, yeah. Where to Put Him Tonight. And they talked to various parents that are just so frustrated and wish they had never done this because it's a lot of work to do something different. It can and, be. And a lot of people do elaborate setups and things like that. So they start off with a story about a mom who woke up at three in the morning in a panic saying, oh my God, I didn't move him. I got to move it. And she's like, I got a dog. My kid is a light sleeper. They're going to notice if I get up. (laughs) And it's this whole thing that she just freaks out because she didn't get to move it. I want to blame it on social media, Oscar. I think that there's a lot of pressure that parents put themselves on to compete or be just as good as their neighbor is. I'm seeing some photos of these elves and they're very elaborate setups. One elf is a DJ with like Star Wars (laughs) characters and Spider-Man and they're all having a rave underneath the Christmas tree. And then there's the dad who got in a big fight with his wife. They had a blowout because the wife told him to go move the elf. They had a brand new baby and the dad moved it from one end of the bookcase to the other. Right. Social media does play a big part. There was one parent they spoke to said she does really creative setups and it's part of her creative outlet. She likes to do it, but she's raised the bar so much because she Instagrams them and then everybody's expecting something bigger and bigger. So you got to do it that way. That mom's elf married Barbie and now they're about to have a baby. (laughs) Yes, I'd call that elaborate. In this article, too, they also talk about the elf industrial complex, (laughs) how there's elf pets, elf toys, elf outfits. Here we go with the ad. And one parent said, we're not going to be buying any type of outfits. And she's like, two years later, we were buying that elf outfits. Oh, my God. So it's a whole thing. Apparently, the company's website has some tips and tricks for things that your elf can get into. Say you're not that creative, like I'm not creative with this kind of thing at all. I have zero patience for any nonsense like this. The website says that here's a good tip for explaining why your elf didn't move. Among them is that the elf maybe had a great view and wanted to stay there and didn't want to lose its vantage point. Another one is maybe the elf heard someone grabbing a drink of water just before leaving to go see Santa and had to play dead so that he wouldn't get busted. You might all remember the story from last year where the mom accidentally burned the elf on the shelf in the oven. She was going to do something creative with it later. So she's like, oh, I got to move it now. And she tossed it in the oven. The next day, her kids were like, hey, we're hungry. And she just not thinking, turned the oven on and the Mm -hmm. thing melted down. That's traumatizing. I was just talking about this whole thing with my wife. And I was like, when we have kids, are we going to teach them about Santa and things? And she's like, yes, of course. And I was like, cool, that's great. I was like, what about this elf on a shelf thing? Because I'm hearing 
it's a ton of work. And she's like, yeah, maybe not. You have a very young daughter. Yeah. She'd be of age for this type of thing next year, I, I, I'm assuming, right? So what do you think? I'm going to tell you, she does know about Santa. She loves Santa. She's very into him. She's not one uh-huh. of those crying, scared at the mall kids of Santa. Right. She's into him. But up until reading this article, I was into the <laughs> Elf on the Shelf and I thought that'd be really cute. And it's funny. Uh-uh. I'm out of it. It's a lot of work. I'm over it. And it happens right after Thanksgiving all the way to Christmas. Too much, Oscar. I'm busy. That's a lot. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. All right. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment. Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.